Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new edition of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. This week's guest is Anthony Natoli. Anthony strategically and intentionally fought his way from being an SDR to getting promoted to an AE in only nine months. However, the path to finding himself in SaaS sales has not been a conventional one. Anthony found himself going down the wrong path as he found himself 60 pounds overweight and $100,000 in debt until one day he realized enough was enough and he needed to turn his life around. Now, he's an account executive at Outreach, and it's his mission to bring awareness and the importance of mental health and mindset to sales professionals and sales leaders based upon his own personal experiences and his journey. We went deep on this episode, and Anthony shared that this is just the start of him sharing his own personal journey. In this episode, we discussed aligning your career with your strengths, truly understanding your goals, his story of turning his life around, mental health and understanding yourself, why sales reps need to develop a personal brand, and much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Anthony Natoli. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Excited to be here. So as I was just, we were just warming up a couple minutes before this, and, and one of the most amazing things about LinkedIn and, and really building and developing a personal brand is literally I started off our conversation by saying, it's finally great to, to meet you. Like, I feel like I know you and you returned it back saying, yeah, great to put a face with a name. So really excited uh, to, to jump in. I know you're, you're really big with, with building your personal brand right now. Uh, you are an AE over at Outreach. Um, but first and foremost, as we do in every single show, really just want to take a big step back to high school, Anthony. Could you tell us a little bit more about who you were, what you were doing, and what did you want to do with your life ultimately before saying, you know what? I'm going to University of Arizona and I'm going to study business. What was young Anthony like? Yeah, uh, young Anthony was, I think, now that I look back, a little bit misunderstood. Um, there's always this funny photo of me when I was five, like with a, a clown face painting on. And uh, I was always the, cl the class clown, always making everyone laugh. I was always super just uh, outgoing. And I guess now what I know about being an extrovert or introvert, I was very extroverted, um, very outspoken. Um, even going back to middle school, you know, my mom would go to parent teacher conferences instead of going one by one to each teacher, they'd all be in a room. I was like the, the Dennis of the Dennis, the menace type kid, um, in high school as well. Um, but yeah, I just always liked to have fun. I was an athlete growing up. And so I had the two sides to me. I would one that had a lot of fun. And then the other was, super focused, disciplined, a leader in football, wrestling, baseball. Um, and I, you know, always had a lot of friends. Um, people tended to, tended to gravitate towards me. Um, but I think, I think I was also, uh, you know, a bit insecure as, as a kid growing up. I didn't know at the time at all, right? You don't have, a lot of people don't have that awareness at that young of an age but I was insecure. And I think that's what led me to be like the class clown and wanting everyone to like me. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that came to the surface as I got older. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I wasn't the best in school. Like I always say I have street smarts, not book smarts. Uh, I could have been smart. I just never applied myself. Um, I was more interested in like sports and hanging out with friends rather than studying. And so I kind of got into University of Arizona by the skin of my teeth, um, which is interesting because it doesn't take much to get into the University of Arizona. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I think I switched my major four times before like the first week of school even started. And uh, what, were some, so, what, were those, what were some of those majors that you were thinking about too? And the reason I asked that is that I feel yeah. like everybody looking back and it, it sounds like hindsight's 2020 for you of the awareness of different things. And you, you realize that there's a lot that happens in those younger years that really sets you up for that success. What were some of the, um, what were some of those potential majors and, and maybe why did you want to go in those routes? Yeah, I think sports journalism like caught my attention right away because I was the kid at five years old up at, you know, 11 PM watching sports center. I would watch like European soccer at like 2 AM when I was super young, I just always loved sports. Like I could name all the capitals as at a young age because of like hockey teams. Um, so like, I thought that would be good, but then I realized like I hated writing and then I was like, Oh, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Cause I like to talk and argue. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I was just like, you know, I'm going to go the business route because my, my dad, um, he's now a CEO of a company, but 
he was uh, a sales professional. And I saw just like, I don't know, he always just said, hey, I think you'd be really good as a sales, salesperson because you got these street smarts. People like talking to you. You like talking to people. And I was like, okay, I'll go to the business route and then just kind of see where it takes me. Um, then I thought I wanted to do like real estate. So originally I was going to move back after I graduated um, to New York and start trying to do commercial real estate. And then I pivoted one of my... Uh, one of my fraternity brothers had this opportunity to work in finance um, for like this fintech startup out of San Francisco. And I'm the type of person where I was like, you know what? This is fun. This is a challenge. My mom was upset. I had to move back home, but I was like, let's do it. I can always move back home. Right. So I tried San Francisco, ended up staying there for five and a half years, but I stayed in that finance role for uh, three years um, and it just wasn't for me and company didn't end up doing as well as I thought. I'm so appreciative of my time there and relationship with the CEO and my fraternity brother who worked there, who ended up being my roommate at my time in San Francisco. But yeah, I think just to round it out, I tried so many different things because I didn't know like who I was as a person. Like I didn't know what really excited me. Right. And I didn't know that until probably three years ago. And I'm 29. So it took me a long time to really understand like, who is Anthony as a person? What does he actually enjoy doing? And I think that's the why behind I had so many majors and I switched so many times. I was kind of lost. So you're trying to, but I didn't know it. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. And thank you. Thank you for explaining that as well. How did you know, ultimately when, when you're, you're trying to discover yourself and doing a lot of that inner work. Um, So ultimately what's, what's, what's the importance of not knowing exactly what you want to do. And ultimately when you were moving out of that finance role after three years, how did you know when it was the right time to move? Yeah. There's been a few points in my life where you've got that fiery energy in your gut that just tells you that this isn't right. And so I think that that was it for me. Like when I, I just realized, like I, I took a step back and I saw all my other friends in San Francisco and they're all working in tech sales. And I was like, Oh, I could do that and enjoy myself. Like that would probably be a lot of fun. And so I did. And I took the leap. I've always been the type of person to just take the leap and, and fail fast and jump into the deep end and, and figure it out later. The thing is, I, I took that step into SaaS as an SDR, and I, I never looked back. I was still pretty lost as a person, but I was really fulfilled at work in what I was doing at professionally. So I think, I think there's just a, there's always a, um, a, an infliction point for people, and whether or not they run with it or they just continue down that path of like comfort is one thing, but for me, I have this self-awareness that allows me to really understand like, okay, if I go down this path, it may be scary, it may be different, it may be uncomfortable, but I know that on the other end, there's potential doors that may open. So I could either stay in this job that, you know, I'm just like miserable waking up every day and it's nothing against the company. It's just, it was a me problem. And so uh, I decided to make a change and I'm a firm believer that if you want anything out of life, no one's going to do it for you. You're in control of that. And so if you want things to be different, you've got to make them different. hundred percent, man. I mean, uh, to, not to get cheesy, but you know, a, a Newton's law, a object in motion stays in motion or an object at rest stays at rest. You're not going to make opportunities for yourself by sitting in that same spot. Right. And that's just, again, going back to my science background. So there's, there's such a yep. transferability of skills. Um, that, that really gets me me pumped here. So um, really quick, before we dive into your career a little bit more, I'd love to know, like, obviously, it sounded like your dad had a pretty big influence being the CEO of a company and saying that you were, you'd be interested in sales. You know, what did he ultimately, you know, any good lessons or, or anything that he taught you that, that really resonates to exactly what you're doing right now? Yeah, I think, I think, being like a, a sales professional, you're kind of like a mini CEO and you're con- in control of your own destiny. So you're not in, in except in, in terms of like uh, the tools that you use or the enablement that you get, like the, the sky's the limit based on your effort and your work 
like your the work that you put into it. And I've always been a go-getter. I've always been ambitious. I've always been a hard worker. And he always like pulled that out of me. He's like, this is who you are. Like then that's what, you know, as an SDR makes you, you know, successful is that hard work, the ability to be coached, um, the, the desire to be successful, the hungriness. Um, and so I think those were the lessons that I took into my career was like, own that piece of who you are, be okay that you're not the finance guy or you're not the doctor, you're not the lawyer, but this is what you are good at. I'm good at understanding how to navigate an organization internally and building my personal brand. I'm good at using what I have to my uh, fullest extent, whether that's a tool or enablement. Um, I, I have that, uh, I think, emotional intelligence and business acumen because learning from my dad or you know, working in finance for those first three years, I, got, I had a thick skin. I was cold calling mortgage brokers all day long and they were yelling at me. So I learned that very quickly, like, hey, this is what it takes to be in sales. And um, either you let your emotions control you or you, um, you kind of just like realize that it's nothing personal and you keep it moving. But I struggled, with, I struggled with that in life. I struggled with that at work until really like three years ago when I had that, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, infliction point with my weight and the debt that I was in. And I really had to, to make a change to how I was thinking and living. But I think, again, if I could sum it up, it was the understanding of like where my strengths were and knowing that being a sales professional aligned with those strengths the most out of any potential career path that I could take. Yeah. And that, that's fantastic, Anthony. And really what it comes down to is you are from the 14 minutes that we've been talking so far, you are incredibly self-aware and you know what you know. And, and also it sounds like you're not upset or not willing to you know, try to not explain something you don't know, right? You know what you potentially don't know. Um, you know, growing up, it sounds like, you know, obviously you mentioned you were the, the Dennis the Menace, the class clown, had a lot of energy. But then, so for somebody who's in that position, it sounds like when you went into your SDR days, you really had to focus that energy into, I need to go build pipeline. I know I need to go do this. What's your biggest piece of advice for some of those folks who maybe, maybe over back and forth over the place, but trying to focus their efforts on something, how did you overcome that? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I think really what it boils down to is, is understanding like the outcomes that you are responsible for driving. So for me, I wasn't so focused on like my activity numbers. I was focused on how am I going to get to book the number of meetings that my AE needs to know that I'm doing a good job to where there he or she is set up for success. So I was focused on, of course, like making calls, sending emails, but I was focused on how can I make my AE super successful? Because ultimately like the job of an SDR, like you can book a meeting, but if that meeting doesn't convert to pipeline, then it was useless. So I really tried to focus on quality instead of quantity. So that would be my advice for, for SDRs is really understand the, the outcome and, and what you're gold on. Right. So if there's ways that you can get to your number and have an impact differently than just banging out a hundred calls a day, you should be creative and you should do it. And most successful, I think, SDR organizations, the one I was at at demand based, they gave you the autonomy to be creative, to partner with your AE, to figure out what's the best way to get my AE, the most quality meetings that I can. And then for me, once I realized that that was the goal, Shoot, I was doing a bunch of different things. I was going in person because my territory is San Francisco. I was working in San Francisco. I would go in person. I know some people on my team that would go up to Seattle and do in-person drops. Obviously, we can't do that now. But I think just the essence of being creative and thinking outside the box um, and then you know, just being very persistent um, and, and not giving up when you hear no. Like That's another piece of advice is that oftentimes people think that when someone tells them no, or they hear something negative, that that's what, uh, that's what their self-worth is made up of because that's been the stigma for forever. Like you got to hustle. And if you don't make a bunch of calls or if you get hung up on, like you're a bad person, that's not true at all. Like the outcomes do not define us as people. Yeah. It sucks for sure to get hung up on for sure. But, but if you let that control how you show up on your next cold call, 
then you're not going to have a successful cold call. So sit with that feeling, be aware of how you feel in that moment, and then do your best to brush it off and go into your next cold call with a clear mind and say, hey, that person may be just having a bad day. It has nothing to do with me. So to sum it up again, it's own your goal and be creative to get there and then become indifferent to yeses and nos. And that doesn't mean that you don't care. You should celebrate the small wins. 100%. You should, all, you should also celebrate the losses because that's when you learn and grow. But don't let it define you and how you show up. Dude, that is, that is such gold. And, and there's a couple other points that I want to dive into specifically. I definitely want to talk about those inflection points of, of really what made that flip of switch in your, in, in your life. But yeah. you know, just a point, I'm sure you probably heard this story. You know, Sarah Blakely, went, CEO of Spanx, she yep. used to sit around the, the dinner table and her father used to make them say every single Friday night or, or every dinner, I don't know exactly what it was, but to discuss a failure that they had that week so that they could celebrate it. And now you look at what she did. She's just sold... You know, she just made a lot of money selling the company. And yep. you'd have to think that some of that failure and that resiliency and what she learned there had to be something huge later on in her life. Now, I want to dive into a little further on the SDR side of things as well, because I think it's really incredible uh, that the autonomy that you had as an SDR, because I feel like a lot of organizations, and I'd love your thoughts on this, it seems like people have a negative stigma on the SDR in general, right? People... Yep. They don't want to give them that autonomy. They they want to make it. Uh, they want to control the messaging. They want to make it a, a pencil pushing job. Um, this isn't how it is at Vidyard, but this is just what it just seems like in general in the SDR motion, right? You know, what kind of advice do you have for uh, you know SDRs or even SDR management who may need to loosen the reins a little bit on that and give them that autonomy? Yeah, there, there's a couple things to unpack, and I think this is the reality. <clears throat> Organizations don't grow and scale without SDRs building pipeline, plain and simple. Because the, the life, other reality, they're the lifeblood of the organization, right? Yep. The reality is most SaaS organizations have a BDR, AE, or BDR to or SDR to AE model. You take away those BDRs and, and those SDRs, most AEs hate prospecting, but they want more pipeline. Every AE wants more pipeline, yet they rely solely on their SDRs. So a lot of organizations would be in a lot of trouble without the SDR. So I think that's number one is the recognition that the SDR organization and role is mission critical. Then, you know, I think the second piece is some of the most successful AEs, CSMs, sales engineers, solutions consultants are former SDRs. Yes. So when I was at Demandbase and even now at Outreach, the internal promotion was huge. And that's how you keep SDRs motivated. And that's how you get them excited to come to work every day because there's a path to promote them internally. And what's really interesting is that when I was in a demand base and even at outreach, the ones that were making president's club and generating the most revenue were former SDRs. Yet they would hire seasoned vets who had a lot of turnover. People that get hired outside of organizations that I, I believe have the highest turnover, but when you hire internally as from an SDR, they stay because they're committed. You did something for them. They want to give back and they already know the business inside and out. They're making cold calls. They're sending emails. They understand customer problems. Like who better to speak with your customers than someone who was building pipeline and setting meetings already. So if you have a strong enablement program, um, and demand-based, we had a, a, a what we call a bridge program, and outreach has a similar program where they, you know, make sure that the AEs are set up for success or the SDRs are set up for success to an AE. So I think it's um, it's always interesting and shocking, quite frankly, when um, SDR managers and leaders don't, and maybe CROs and VPs don't acknowledge the importance of SDRs, and that they don't give them the creativity to be successful, and that they don't promote internally. It's just, it's just mind blowing. And I think if you take a look at the top organizations that have the BDR to AE model, they're doing a lot of similar things like giving their uh, folks the uh, autonomy to be creative and they're promoting within. And then those people go on to do amazing things. Like I read about it all day long about SDRs being promoted to AE and then going on to absolutely crush it. Then they go on to leading a team. Like it, it's shocking that that doesn't happen more often. Um, but I think it does happen, which is great, but it doesn't happen enough. 
No, absolutely. And, there, and there's uh, just back to the point of the, the negative stigma. I mean, like I know Darren McKee and I, and I know, you know, Darren as well, um, yeah. truly believe that SDRs are the lifeblood of an organization. If you think about their down. job, they have the hardest job in the company of getting the rejection, having those conversations, but also they're the first, they're in some organizations. If you don't have a good brand or if you're just developing that brand, they are the first interaction between your company and your potential client. So they yep. have a very, very important job of being able to quickly distill down what the value is of your company and why they should have a conversation. If, when you have those skills and you get good at doing that, I think the sky's the limit to your point. So it doesn't make, it, it, it is very clear why SDRs go on to be incredible leaders. And I, I think that there needs to be a shift in the thought process around SDRs, in, in my, my opinion. Um, and two, I, know, I noticed that there's a lot of, uh, there's some SDR leaders who will focus on, on their employees and saying, we want to control the narrative. We want to make sure we're, we're approving their scripts from a, like a video perspective. But are you on, my question back to that is, are you on every single phone call with them explaining everything that they should be saying? No. And to your point, like uh, another story, uh, one of my buddies who's in the, the LinkedIn community, Vin Matano, he um, is an AE now at Demandbase was an SDR. He would, he was the king of sending videos of like random stuff that like no SDR manager could coach you on, but because he had the uh, freedom to prospect, to get to his number, he was making, you know, uh, vidyard videos, sending direct mails that were interesting. And it caught people's attention because at the end of the day, if you're just giving your people a script, you know, how busy a CRO is or a CMO is they're not going to answer just a descriptive thing. Like they've been in the game. They know when something's scripted. So you need to stand out. And if you're not giving your SDRs the ability to stand out, then uh, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. And I don't know what CRO or what sales leader, what anybody wants to leave on the table. Let's get these people developing their skills and, and let's give them the autonomy to do what they need to do to develop their skills and to ultimately come on and um, keep them at the company, keep them happy. And then, Again, sky's the limit there. So you had this transition from being an SDR to an AE. Now, this is a gold standard for a lot of SDRs. A lot of folks are trying to, to make that shift. What's your best piece of advice around that shift from making an SDR to an AE of how reps could do it most efficiently? Yeah, I think from day one is know what you want. So I walked in the door on day one as an SDR and I said, I'm getting promoted to mid-market AE. Like that's, that's going to happen. Like I was manifesting it and I was going to do whatever it took to get there. And so I started to figure out, cause I'd never done this before. And I, no one ever told me how to get promoted, but I had, I have, again, this like natural, I guess, awareness to figure out like what was the right thing to do. And so I'm, I became very close with the, the VP of mid-market sales because ultimately the way her team was successful is if I booked meetings for her, for people. Right. I also got, uh, I was fortunate enough. I'm not going to say lucky because I think I was, I put myself in position to, to work a very good territory. So I got to work with top reps on the team. So I became close with them and I wasn't doing it selfishly. Like I actually genuinely wanted to, become friendly with these people on the team. And just as a natural result, they had my back because I was, you know, helping them be more successful in their job by crushing it for them. Right. Then I, I became very close with the enablement leadership. I asked the, uh, the CRO and the CEO to go for like coffee, 15 minutes. And I'm lucky that it was an organization where that was applauded. They wanted to meet with newer folks. You just had to ask. And then my obviously became close with my manager and, and my, my VP of sales development, Jay Tool, who he's, he's a legend. Um, love that guy. And while doing all this, I was building my, my network and my personal brand in like the first three months. So where people knew me, like people saw my name, and they knew me. The other thing I made sure I did was I became very outspoken very quickly. Some people, it rubbed them the wrong way. Like, who's this new guy talking in our team meetings, giving people advice. People don't like that. People don't like I that. Said, I said, sorry, you don't like it. I'm going to do it anyway. And eventually it allowed other people to step up and want to talk. 
So I think I just stayed authentic to who I was and I was really excited to be there. And some people didn't like it, but at the end of the day, that's their problem, not mine. And so um, it wasn't like I was being like a uh, 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 I can't pronounce the word, facetious. but I wasn't trying to be yeah, facetious or cocky or anything like that. It was just that I thought I could add value to the team and that's just who I am as a person. I like to speak my mind and, and try to help others. And that's something else that I did. And I think obviously doing well and hitting your number is big, but you got to be creative. Um, and so obviously, you know, I think those three things, building my brand, being a leader on the team um, and being creative in my, my pipeline uh, generation efforts were huge. And that all led to me, like we had, um, we had weekly like company or biweekly company all hands. And there was oftentimes opportunities for SDRs to speak. Guess who was the first person raising their hand to offer to speak? Me. SKO comes around. Who wants to do a presentation in, in, in front of 500 people at SKO? Me. Of course, I was freaking out, but I knew by doing those things, put my name on the map. And then all of those things combined, I got promoted in nine months. But they were only supposed to promote, promote people after a year. But I don't know. They didn't stretch the rules for me, but I earned my keep and I got promoted. So I think obviously that's quicker than most. And I think I had a path, but again, it's like, that's what I wanted. And I, I took control over what I could control every single day. And then ultimately I got promoted and other people did similar things and they got promoted too. So I think there is a common theme with all those things and how you can get you know promoted from an SDR to, to an AE. Um, and I didn't do anything crazy. It's all the things everyone can do. Obviously, it differs based on the type of organization you work at or the size of the company, but like the framework is similar, I would say. 100%. It's knowing your path, being incredibly intentional with every single action that you have, and also building relationships with those key people who could ultimately make those decisions to help you later on in the road. And that's not to use them, but that's, that's if you're in a selling role, you want to know what the path is to getting a signature, right? It's the same exact skill that you should be using internally to understand if my goal is this, if my goal is to get a signature, if my goal is to get promoted, what are the steps backward to getting there? And I need to align my actions to that. So being self-aware and being intentional, Anthony, is exactly why you're in the, you're in the role that you are here. Now, yep. you haven't always been this, this bubbly, this, you know, this person that you are today, you mentioned that you had an inflection point of where your life changed. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what led up to that inflection point and then ultimately how you overcame that point as well? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was, even when I was like uh, doing really well in the SDR role, I still felt empty. You know, I was like coming out of a very toxic relationship, mostly like on my part um, that ended and I was feeling lost and, you know, reconnecting with friends um, that I had lost in that relationship because I just, you know, wasn't doing things for myself. I stopped working out um, and I got myself into a hole with money and debt and I gained a bunch of weight um, between, you know, the ages of 24 and, and really like 27. Those three years, I was like going down a path that was like just digging a hole and digging a hole and digging a hole. And I think for me, there was a, um, there was a specific day and time. I remember it like it was yesterday, um, where I was home. We were in a, we were at a mid-year for demand base. I was uh, an AE. We did it in New York city. I live in, my parents live in New Jersey. I was home. It was hot. My clothes just my clothes just didn't fit anymore, and I was uncomfortable and so insecure. And I just like broke down in my parents' kitchen. I was just like, I'm in a lot of trouble with money. I'm super overweight, and I just can't live or think like this anymore. And it was real. And I wouldn't put that what the thoughts were going on in my head on my worst enemy. Um, and it was a lot for a 26 year old to process. Like I'm young. I didn't know like what was going on. I was scared. And so, um, you know, it was a common, it was a typical, like, I want to change, but I'm not ready. So like I continued down that path a little bit. And then I think, you know, December, 2019, um, 
I really decided to kind of put down my shovel. That was the, it was the December after that summer. So it was a few months after I decided to put down my shovel, stop digging and really start down a path of, you know, going to therapy, um, starting to manage my money better, get, try to figure out a plan to get myself out of debt. And then uh, 2020 comes pandemic hits. I, I truly believe like there's obviously a ton of bad that came out of the pandemic, but it allowed me to leave San Francisco, which I think I should have a couple of years prior to move back home with my family, which allowed me to save money, which allowed me to be closer to my mom, who's really into fitness and, and working out and develop a plan for weight loss. So um, I was like, you know what, like, just like I did with the, you know, getting promoted, like I'm going to take the bulls by the horn and control what I can. I'm going to read all the books that I need. I'm going to go to my therapy. I'm going to work out even when I don't feel like it. And I started down this path of thinking and living a different life for myself. And as the days went on and I, I took consistent action, then the results started to come. I started to save money. I paid off one credit card. Then I paid off personal loan. And then boom, the other credit cards almost paid. And then three months later, I'm down 20 pounds. And I don't get there by without building discipline, without having support system around me. And I started to like feel my brain rewiring. It was like this new person was born because up until that point for 26 years, my brain perceived things and how I should act and live a completely different way that wasn't healthy. It was toxic. And so by going down this path of, you know, wanting to better myself and live a better life, I started to discover like who Anthony really is as a person, what excites him, where are his areas of like flaws. So like, I understood like, Hey, I'm actually a really insecure person. And a lot of what I put on is like kind of a mask and a facade doing all this stuff to please other people, to try to get validation from others and external sources of happiness and chasing money and, and chasing materialistic things, I realized like that stuff doesn't really ever make you happy or fulfill fulfilled. You always want more. And so, uh, you know, I went down that path these last three years and, um, you know, I lost the weight. I got out of my debt. I moved into my own place, uh, New York city. I actually live in Hoboken, which is right across the river in New York city. Um, I hit president's club at, at demand base. I left demand base after three and a half years there. I love the people at Demand Base. I love my time at Demand Base. And now I'm at Outreach where, um, you know, I'm 60 pounds lighter. I'm debt-free building my life in the positive. And if I look back at these three years, the reason why I'm this, you know, uh, I have these like Buddha-esque type concepts about life is because like, man, I've been through some stuff and I want to share my story and give back the lessons that I've learned the hard way. Um, because going through those hard things has allowed me to be grateful for those times and for what I have now. Um, and so now I have awareness of what my, I, what I don't want my life to be like, I never want to go back there. So it allows me to stay grounded and grateful for what I have now. Um, and I feel that I've gotten myself out of this hole. It's my duty to share the mindset hacks and the mindset shifts that I had to make. Um, to get to where I got, because I think things like paying off debt, losing weight, doing well professionally, but feeling fulfilled are all things that take a lot of work. And so if I can share some of the ways that I got there, then, um, you know, that's really impactful to me. So. Dude, yeah. that whole story, first and foremost, thank you so much for the vulnerability in, in telling that story. I'm sure yeah. it wasn't easy to go through all that stuff, but I guarantee you that there's people listening right now who may be in a similar situation that you were in. Or, or something similar where they feel like they're digging themselves a hole or they're, the momentum is shifting or is staying in that negative path instead of putting down that shovel and coming back up. Now, say we have somebody who's listening right now who is on that downhill slide and they're trying to uh, either halt it or try to move it upward. What's your best piece of advice of just simply getting started with, with that journey upward? Yeah, I, I always tell this to to people that are, are looking to change and you've got to be ready. Like some people may not be ready. And my, my therapist and now mentor always says like, sometimes you just got to bang your head against the wall enough times to be like, okay, enough is enough. And for the people that are ready to make a change, I would say, start small, like don't try to do everything at once and 
talk to the people in your circle, whether it's family or friends and tell them about it, build them as your champions. Like I told my, you know, my mom and my dad and all my best friends, I told them exactly what was going on. And so that they can keep me accountable and keep me on the right path. But I think first and foremost is like, you can't force yourself to change. You've got to want it for yourself. There's no one that's going to want it more than you. You can't do it for anyone else. Like for years, I wanted to change, but I never did it. Like my mom wanted me to change. People around me wanted me to change, but I wasn't ready. So I would do it for three months and then stop. It wasn't until I wanted to change is that I made the change. So you got to find it in you to really be ready to, to, to make some changes because it takes work. Um, but I, what I will say to the people that are struggling is that there's a, there's a way out, but the only way out is through, you have to go through, um, the mud to get to the, to the other side. So just recognizing and accepting where you're at and knowing that, you know, it could be worse, you know, it could get worse, but it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live like that anymore. Just to know, like whatever you're going through, it doesn't have to be like that. It really doesn't. That's phenomenal advice. And, and, and I guarantee you, please let us know uh, whether you reach out to Anthony or, or me, you know, you don't have to tell us your story, but if this did impact you, please let us know because um, I guarantee you, Anthony, there's going to be some people that reach out because this is really impactful stuff. Um, I, this segues really nicely into the, what I wanted to talk about next around mental health and sales. And I know that mental health is incredibly important outside of, uh, you know, in general, right. But especially in the profession that we're in right now in sales, uh, I noticed I've had a lot of conversations recently with reps all over, you know, all over the country. And a lot of people are burnt out right now. And they're putting a lot of their self-worth into their quota attainment. And, and that is a, not a healthy spot to be in. Tell, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, why mental health is so important in your sales journey besides everything you've been on? And ultimately, what we could do individually as sales professionals to help other people out in that respect? Yeah. So I think, I think, um, like the days of hustle culture are dead. Like we're shifting organizations are shifting away from that and recognizing that people showing up as the best version of themselves also allows them to show up as the best version with customers, which ultimately leads to a better experience and hopefully more revenue down the line. So I'm a firm believer that, and this is just based on what I know about myself and my experience that the days that I feel the best version of Anthony are the days that I do my best work because I have a clear mind. I've done things that I feel proud of, whether that's my morning routine or it's my workout or it's my, my journaling. Those are the days that I feel the most fulfilled because I go into conversations with a clear mind, not selfishly worried about so much the future and the outcome and hitting my quota. And so I think by focusing on you know, mastering your craft and your process and making time for yourself outside of work so that you can show up as you're authentic, you're true, you're grounded, the best version of yourself, you'll be able to do your best work. Um, I used to struggle with this greatly. I would wake up and I'd go to work. And then in the back of my head, I'd be like, man, I really wish I worked out or I really wish I ate a, a better, more nutritious breakfast, or I wish I got better sleep. And then my judgment's clouded. And then, you know, I'm going into calls with like commission breath because all I can think about is that commission check. When I real, when, and, and part of that is like people not realizing like what's actually important in life. And of course, it's very easy to say as someone in tech sales that like money isn't everything because whatever. But I will say like, I've made the money. I've made the president's clubs. I've had the awards. But that stuff doesn't make you feel fulfilled. Like no amount of money will make you more happy than you making yourself happy. So I think it's the, it's the cliche of like, you got to take care of yourself before you could take care of others. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing, I think the, the top sales professionals and the most elite performers are also the ones that are taking care of themselves. They're making time for, for family time. They're making, they're making time for the things that make them feel happy and fulfilled. So that when they go into their job, they're like, I've already got this amazing life. Like I'm happy with who I am. 
if I win or lose this deal, that's fine, but it's not going to make me feel any happier. Like, sure. It'll be great for like a, a few days that I, you know, maybe close this million dollar deal and I might be able to do some fun stuff with the money, like save it. But I'd rather have, you know, a loving family. I'd rather love myself than be miserable with a million bucks. Like, like if you really just take away the money, like what's, what's more important? Is it like crushing your quota or is it feeling good about who you are as a person and in your skin? And I think not enough sales professional realize like that you can take care of yourself and still do well at work. Like you don't have to make work your sole focus. And oftentimes what happens is the less you think about crushing it, the more you, you do crush it. Absolutely. Like, it's like, it's like, um, just using dating as an example, like the more someone wants a girlfriend, the more needy and insecure they come off with or vice versa wants a boyfriend, the person that walks into a room and is already happy with who they are, the people gravitate towards them because they're already confident in who they are. So the more that we can show up to our customers from a place of wanting to help them and being indifferent and saying, Hey, look, like this might work out. It might not, but I'm here to just give you the information you need to make uh, an informed decision. Um, I'm not going to try to force anything down, you know, your throat, but the people that don't realize that are the ones that show up with like asking selfish questions and people feel that energy in life commission, in general. Commission breath, whether it's, you know, whether you're in sales or whether you're going out and dating that same commission breath and that need that uh, desperation is palpable yeah. and it stinks right? Yep. You could feel it. You could genuinely feel that. So uh, I love that analogy as well. I think there, there's so many different analogies with the, the dating and sales thing, but we'll, we'll save that for, uh, for another day. But I, I did love that one. I think it'd be really interesting too. I know that Richard Harris did some studies on it as well um, in, in, in mental health uh, for sales, but I'd be really interested to just do a poll or something of like, you know, how happy do you consider yourself? And then what's your percent to quota? And just see like, if there is any kind of correlations between that in the sales profession, I, I almost don't want to know that answer because I think too many people put their self-worth in what that quota attainment is. Um, but obviously you, you need to be happy with yourself and, and everything you're, uh, you're doing there as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I have, uh, yeah. And, and sorry to cut you off, but I, I something just came to mind. Um, if, if I can share it, like even at outreach, it was my, my first three months, I had a huge deal, a competitive deal. They're on one of our competitors and, you know, six figure deal. And, um, I noticed that like want and need like for winning that deal took over me and how I showed up and people felt that like, and I ended up losing, I, you know, I ended up not winning the deal. Um, there was obviously some other external factors. That wasn't the only reason, but I knew that I wasn't showing up as like actually Anthony. It was like, Anthony that only cared about closing the deal because he was going to look like a rock star or he was going to get all the, the, uh, the applause for, for closing the deal. Um, rather than, Hey, maybe like timing isn't actually right. I should like, like respectfully bow out and wait till timing's better. But I kept trying to force it, kept trying to force it. And I sat down with my manager and we like really understood like, Hey, maybe this is like an area that you can improve upon focus on showing up as Anthony, authentic Anthony, and less of, I need to close these deals or else I'm not going to be, you know, fulfilled type of deal. And, um, I think once I made that change, like I've been having such awesome conversations with people and building real relationships. So even for me, someone who's came so far, like I had to hit my head against the wall again in my new role to realize like, Oh shoot, I wasn't, I wasn't actually showing up as the real version of Anthony. I was showing up as someone who was being pretty selfish actually. And as long as you're aware of it, you can move forward. That's, that's all that matters. Like past is the past. Um, so thought yeah, that, that was a, a good example. That's an amazing example. And, and in sales, you need to have that short memory. Um, you know, whether it's you're doing cold calls or having those, those situations, but really showing up and understanding that not every single situation, there's going to be a sale you know, if once you think that it's, you know, I've been there, done that, you know, everybody has been at that point, I think in the sales profession. Um, but it's all about being genuine and building those relationships. One of, one of the best ways I found recently, and I, I'm sure that you'll probably agree is that you could build relationships more easily when you develop your personal brand in sales. 
I would love to hear from you. I, I want to congratulate you. I know you just hit 5,000 followers on LinkedIn. Uh, I just you. hit 3,000. So we're, we're pretty close in our, our journeys relatively. Um, I know it feels amazing just to, you know, to get some of those um, conversations back or, or hearing from people now of, you know, how much what you're doing is helping, at least from my perspective, it, it feels amazing. Um, but I'd love to learn from your perspective, really simply, why do sales professionals need to build their personal brand? Yeah, I think first and foremost, like it, it, it helps you build like, cause in order to build your personal brand, you got to be pretty consistent and the, the way that you show up on a platform like LinkedIn. Um, and so it helps people like build that discipline muscle for sure. Um, I also think that it shows that like you're potentially a subject matter expert and you're human, right? It gives like a lot of times, I know prospects will check out my LinkedIn before we meet. And so it'd be cool to see them like, oh, this, this is actually, a, you know, maybe a cool guy, or maybe I don't agree with some of the stuff he's saying, whatever the case is, they know I'm human, right? And they know I'm right. out there. And so I think by building that brand, it, it gives you some kind of credibility in a way, especially for me, I'm selling to sales and marketing leaders. And I'm talking about, you know, me being able to build pipeline. It's like, oh, maybe he's got some like practical tips and, and he's going to actually try to help us. Um, I think the other thing, you know, is the, is the connections that you can build. Like I've talked to you now, like as well, like 20 people that I would have never spoken to. And I've have, I'm super happy at outreach, but like people come in, you know, ask if I want to come work at their company, yada, yada, like some new opportunities, um, partnerships for different business ventures and, you know, people asking for my time in terms of like, Hey, like, can you look at this email and help me edit it? There's just like so many opportunities, I guess I could say that come your way, um, that would never be there if I never decided to hit post, you know, 76 days ago. Um, I, what also really excites me is that like, it's clear I have a certain message and mission that I'm trying to spread. And the fact that I'm able to come on a podcast like this and get my name out there and my, my story out there. And the fact that I can help other people like that, I think is a game changer. Um, and I think the last thing it, it allows you to show up authentically and vulnerably, which for me at least helps me show up every day. Like this is who Anthony is. And I can't run from that because it's on social media in front of thousands of people sometimes. And so it allows me to own my story, like sharing that I'm uh, someone who came out of a hundred thousand dollars of debt and was 60 pounds overweight. That wasn't easy to share, but I feel empowered now because I've been able to share it and hopefully it helps someone else. So for sales professionals, I think, you know, again, it does a few things. It allows you to build credibility with prospects and customers. It allows you to build relationships with potential partners and um, new, new connections. And it allows you to show up authentically and vulnerably so that you can show up as that person as well with prospects and customers, which leads to more authentic and real conversations. Um, when you show up authentically, the other person's able to show up authentically. The only reason you and I are having such a powerful conversation is because we're both having our walls down and we're just talking. That's it. And we're letting there, it spill. That's the only thing. Dude, and there, that's exactly, and I, I share all those same sentiments and I'm really happy and appreciative that you um, did show that vulnerability and you are doing that um, through and through. I mean, you're, it's very clear that you're a genuine person. You've been through some, some really tough stuff, but now you're on the other side of it and you want to help other people get there as well. And I know personally for me, just being able to help one person at a time, obviously you're doing it so that you could help more people than that. But really when you get that, I always say impact over impressions. And by that, I mean, I don't really care about how many likes I have. If I get a hundred likes on something, but I get one message from somebody or two people that says, Hey, that made a really, like, that was a huge change. Like, that's it. That's, that's the metric that I care about the most. And it, it's, uh, it's really a game changer. And also without personal brand, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation, right? You wouldn't have put yourself out there. You wouldn't have, you know, I would have never started the podcast if I didn't put myself out there. I, have, I wouldn't have had any of these conversations with any of the world-class professionals like yourself and, and some of the others. And that's what it is. It's just getting yourself out there and, and being vulnerable. Yeah. And I think I, I, I made a post about the 5,000 followers on LinkedIn and it's the, all that is to me is a North star that like I'm moving in the right direction. Right. For me, 
knowing all that I've been through and my parents have been through with me, the fact that like they can look me in the eyes and say that they're genuinely proud of me because like I'm going on podcasts, like it's mind blowing to them. Because if you knew me three years ago, you'd be like, yeah, right. He's going on podcasts. What does this guy have to talk about? Right. And so the fact that they're so proud of me, like that's what means the most. What means the most is the SDR last month. Who's like, Hey, I've got my first ever SDR interview coming up. Like, can you help me? said, sure. No problem. I get the message back that he gets the job. Like what? That's unbelievable. And that's all because I'm just showing up as Anthony, right? I may be, may be able to help some people. There may be people that I might not be able to help, but as long as I'm able to help someone, um, based on like me just showing up and sharing my story, like that's what it's about, man. Dude, that's everything. Yeah. That's what it's about. Dude, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I want to ask the final question that I ask every single guest on this, on this show, if you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life experience, what would you teach and why? Psychology. And the reason for that is because I've seen what an impact on actually understanding your emotions and your thoughts and mental health and what it actually means. And I think that's really the foundation is understanding yourself and understanding people and how they think. Um, and so, yeah, I think psychology, because to me, like the mind is so interesting. And uh, for the longest time, I didn't understand like who I was as a person. And once you, once you start grasping that, like the world opens up and you can start understanding like what actually makes you happy. Um, what are the things you like? What are the things you don't like? Um, what influences certain type of people that you speak with and, um, I don't know that whole world has such, has had such a just big impact on me. Um, the mindset shifts, the mental health. Um, and so that's something that I think goes hand in hand with what I'm just trying to spread. And I think it's such an important and interesting topic that more people need to lean into. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the top sales professionals are also the, the, the people that understand like mindset and mental health the most, um, the people that have been through the mud, but have made it out the other side, like many people you've had on your podcast, like they've all been through the tough stuff, but they've gotten their mind to a different place um, to get them to a, a point of them feeling happy and they're feeling fulfilled as a sales professional. I think that um, is something I would definitely want to spread to young people in, in college. I, w- I wish it was something I knew when I was that age. Absolutely. Well, now you have the ability to make that change. And and also, you know, having more of these conversations normalizes it. And I think that uh, that is super powerful in all of those goals as well. Anthony, this has been fantastic. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah. So right now, just on LinkedIn, but um, middle of March, I've got some some stuff coming out uh, that I've been working on. Um, So be on the lookout for that. Very excited, man. Again, thank you so much. My pleasure, man. Great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.